I've been wrestling with purpose. What was I created for? I'm more than what you see on the surface. See beneath my skin and scars. I'm skinned and scarred. Marred and twisted. Scarred by the past I need to be lifted. And sometimes I question my own existence. What was I put here for? In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light, unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time. Life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great, and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind. And something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up, someone who rose to fix me up, someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in Him, it's brought to the surface. Good morning, church. Man, glad you're here today to celebrate our resurrected Savior as we do every first day of the week. But uh, I know that you are living that out each and every day of your life and your actions and your words to those around you. Uh, It's just a joy, though, to be with the family of God, isn't it? Uh, To know that we have a Savior who loves us and loved us enough to die for us, uh, but then was powerful enough to overcome that death, be resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of God. So glad that you're here today. I want to say welcome to our guests. Thank you for joining us. Truly an honor you're here with us. And of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, oh, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family. We've all made a decision to surrender ourselves to God, to say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And as Kale said, there's lots of ways to get involved. Check out the bulletin. Maybe you want to be a part of our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, or go on a mission trip this uh, summer halfway around the world. There's great opportunities that exist for you to get involved in telling the story, to not spectate, but participate. And that's what we want everybody to do in the story of God. We're called to do that. Uh, we are at the very end of a series called Enough, and we've been trying to unpack the theme for this year, the idea that God is enough for us, that Jesus has done enough for us, and we have had enough of the world telling us otherwise. We want to be a part of God's story and all that Jesus Christ has to offer, and I know this year you're leaning into the blessing that Jesus Christ is going to give you in your life. You're going to reap that because you've made a decision to make him Lord and king of your life. I know that is going to happen. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9, and also look at a story from John 11. So I hope you've got your Bibles and we'll turn there. We'll be there in just a moment, but we're going to, we're going to unpack the idea this morning that there is enough time to make a difference. That's where we're going to end up with uh, in this series. But I want you to think about, as we have the message this morning, as we get into the Word of God momentarily, I want you to think about one person in your life that you know needs Jesus Christ. 
Somebody in your life that may need to come back to Jesus Christ. Maybe they have been there before, but they've left for whatever reason, and you know that you are in their circle of influence. You can make a difference in their life. I want you to think about that person uh, as we go through the story today, because there will be something to do at the very end of today's message. You know, I asked on Facebook uh, uh, several days ago, maybe a week or so ago, um, that what were some things that you wanted God to do in your life? Uh, that question is going to be on the next slide for you as you think about uh, more than anything else in the world, I want God to use me to fill in the blank. Now, for many of us, it could be a number of things that we'd like to accomplish. Uh, maybe at my age, going to the Olympics just isn't going to happen unless I'm a spectator. You know, that's one thing that God may not provide for me. Uh, not that I ever had that ambition, but maybe somebody in here does. But you've got to narrow that down for today's topic, at least to one or two things something God wants to do for you through you and you know that and you want to accomplish all that he's got in mind for you I kind of categorized some of the things that uh, many of you said on Facebook in answer to my question other friends and family members answered as well I got lots of response and I appreciate you doing that to help me out I'm going to read some of those just kind of again categorized uh I want God to use me to glorify him. I want him to use me to support young kids. I want him to use me to reach outside the church walls and make a difference. I want him to use me to reconcile some people in my life. I want him to use me to love my neighbor, to share love in my community, to create community, to influence people for good. And of course, I want God to use me to lead people to Jesus Christ. Those are the things that you said in your life, that you wanted God to use you and make a difference all around you. But maybe for some of us in our life, we think, you know, the the moment in time that that was a reality, that really could happen, that time has come and gone. It just doesn't exist for me anymore. That door's closed. That window has been shut. I'm too old now or maybe too young, whatever it might be. You think that time is just not available for you, and that is one of our enemy's favorite lies to tell each and every one of God's followers. It's too late. You're, you're no good. You're, you're washed up. You're a has-been. I mean, if God could ever use you, it was way back when, but now, mm. and we lean into that lie and believe it all too often. But what Jesus Christ tells us in the gospel is that with God, all things are possible, everything. There's nothing that is not on the table. I love the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lets me and you know, no matter where we're at in life, no matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, how old we think we are, how poor or rich we think we are, that everything is possible when God is in the picture. It is such a reassuring moment in our own lives. And you and I may think, you know what, I know that God has forgiven me, I know that what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross makes it square. I am okay now with God. I've got a relationship with him. But even knowing that, you and I may say, but I don't think God can use me. I know that I'm forgiven, but I don't think God will use me to make a difference in my world with the people I know. We look at the book of Acts, and it is such an encouraging book because it's the kickoff 
start for the church, what you and I get to be a part of, the body of Christ on earth, his hands and feet. And so the church blows up on the day of Pentecost. I mean, it is crazy good. Peter preaches that sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the steps of the temple, and we know that more than 3,000 people were baptized that day. Can you imagine the chili cook-off on that week? That would have been, can put everybody in here. The, the house churches pop up all over Jerusalem and just outside Jerusalem. People are hosting people. They're studying the word. They're remembering what Jesus taught them. The apostles are making the rounds, healing the sick, continuing that process. And there's one guy who is absolutely on fire. Many of them are, but one that we're told about in Acts chapter 7. A guy by the name of Stephen. You've heard of him, no doubt. The first recorded Christian martyr. He is talking to the elitist in Jerusalem. He's, he's preaching yet another sermon. He wants them to understand who Jesus was and everything that he was and that it was all true. And he begins to talk a little bit about the history of Israel, where they're from, where they've been, where they're going, and what now is the new plan for God. But those folks who love the way things currently are, that don't really want anything to change, get so up. Set, And our story begins in Acts chapter 7 and verse 57. It says, those elitists, they, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, that Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, the way things work is outside the city, there is a, a low spot in the ground. It's, it's kind of a pit, if you will. And the men who have been prompted by the social elitists, the, the religious elitists, rather, of the day, they're not just picking up pebbles and throwing at Stephen. No, they're, they're above him, and they're throwing huge rocks that will crush his bones, and they're not holding anything back. But they don't want to get messy. <laughs> Now, we're doing the work of the Lord here, and I've got to go home with this garment. My wife said, don't get anything on it. So I'm going to take my coat off, and I'm going to give it to a guy who is eagerly watching the event by the name of Saul, who was a Pharisee above all Pharisees, who was a guy who was zealous for God, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He is, he is one of those guys that's at the top. He's the cream of the crop, and he's holding those garments as... They dispatch Stephen. Our story picks up in chapter 8 and verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul is, he's on a mission. He believes he's commanded by God to do this very thing. And all the house churches that exist in Jerusalem and just outside the city in the smaller villages, Paul, with the consent of the leadership, in Jerusalem, he's on a manhunt and a woman hunt. 
and he wants to arrest these men and women, convict them of blasphemy, and kill them as well. Saul is on a rampage, if you will. He gets to the point in the story where he kind of rounds everybody up that he knows in Jerusalem, but he knows also that the day Stephen was killed, many folks left town, and they've scattered throughout the rest of the country, and so he believes he's called to hunt them down, to do his very best to bring them back to justice in Jerusalem, which is where we pick up in chapter 9 and verse 1. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's what they called the church. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Saul was a disciple hunter. He was, in that period, the ISIS of his day. He is rounding up people who believe in Jesus Christ. He's putting them in prison, taking their property, and consenting to their death. Saul is one of those guys that, if he were alive today... No possible way that he's getting into our church building. No, he would not be welcome at any function or event. He's one of those guys that you really have to to keep an eye on because you're not sure just to what extent he might go. And so he's got these letters of consent from the higher authority in Jerusalem, and he gets on the road going to Damascus. Because that's where he's heard some of the Christians are, are hiding out. Now, Damascus and Jerusalem, there's about 135 miles in between those two towns on the road. It might take about a week to walk there if you're traveling on foot. He's with his comrades. And on the road to Damascus, there is all of a sudden a commotion, a bright light. The text tells us that, that everyone there falls on their knees, they're They're blinded by the light. They can't see what's going on. The people that are with Paul hear a voice, but they can't see anything. Yet Paul can also see that Jesus Christ is standing there with him. And Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his answer is, who are you, Lord? He goes on to say, listen, Saul, you're not doing what I've been asking our group to become what I've been asking to do so what I want you to do is I want you to go on to Damascus and there's a gentleman there that I'm going to have find you I want you to go to stay at a house on straight street now Saul gets up and does what he's commanded to do but when he stands up Jesus goes away he's blind and it says that his companions help him lead him to Damascus. Meanwhile, Jesus appears to Ananias, and he says, Ananias, there's going to be a guy by the name of Saul coming to town. He's over on Straight Street. I want you to go and be my servant in that moment. I want you to lay hands on him, heal him, because he's going to be the guy that's going to take the gospel message to the Gentiles and to the nation of Israel. And Ananias says, Jesus, I don't know if you've heard or not. (laughs) 
But this guy, he's putting people in jail. He's killing people. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter. I want you to have faith in me, to trust me, and to go over and do what I've called you to do. And so sure enough, Ananias goes over to the house. He finds Saul. He lays hands on him after he's been there for three days fasting. And the Bible says that something like scales fall off Saul's eyes and he can see again. And also that immediately after the healing, he is baptized into Jesus Christ. Becomes part of the church. And he begins, after taking a meal, talking about how powerful Jesus Christ is, that in fact he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. He begins preaching incredibly well. So much so that while in Damascus, those who are of the upper echelon of the religious Jewish society begin to plan on how they're going to kill Saul, the very guy who was just killing other Christians. So the Christians there in town find out about this, and this is that, that epic scene where they lower him through a wall, in uh, a hole in the wall, in a basket. He hits the ground running, goes back to Jerusalem, where he introduces himself to the apostles by a guy named Barnabas. They begin to talk, and they're not sure, but they hear the preaching and see what the Holy Spirit's done in Saul's life, and so they they believe, okay, this guy is a changed person. He's different, penitent, he's forgiven. Welcome to the family. And then people there in Jerusalem realize this is the same guy. Okay, he's doing the same thing, so we need to kill him as well. This is all in the same chapter. Conversion, tried to be murdered twice. So the apostles realize this, and he's from Tarsus originally, so they take him to the coast, put him on a ship. Saul goes back to his hometown in Tarsus, and he waits, till finally Barnabas shows up in Tarsus and brings Paul to a town called Antioch, where Paul, Saul changes his name to Paul, and he and Barnabas begin the first missionary journey of the church. Wow. Can you imagine being Paul, looking back on your life and realizing what you have done? There's there's no way God can use me now. It's not possible that that God would want, based upon my past, to to use me in the process of, of building his church, of telling the story. How could God want me to be part of his plan? After all the people that I've dismantled, the families I've broken up, the people I have killed. How could God want me to be a part of that? And the point of our story today is for us to realize that as bad as Paul's history was, as tough as it was in regards to the church, that if God can use Paul in his story, he can use me and you. And no matter where you think you've been or what you think you have done, it's not enough to keep you out of the story of God. He will use you in ways that you've never thought possible to make a difference for him. But for me and you in our life, we come up with excuses, don't we, of why maybe God doesn't want to use me. We may say something like, you know, it's too late. I've missed my chance. Uh, that window has come and gone. I, I should have been ready, but I wasn't, and now, now that's gone by the wayside. You've had moments in life, maybe like this, 
When we lived in Texarkana, I was in the ninth and 10th grade. And right upon moving there, uh, I had a girlfriend who was on the Palm Squad. Her name was Sonia. Didn't work out well, but anyway. <laughs> we were moving in, after about two months in the 10th grade to Clarksville, Arkansas. Uh, and there was a big party about a week before I left on the weekend. And a lot of my peer group came together. And we were outside uh, playing Ghost in the Dark. It's, there's a base, and you hide, and anyway, people are looking for you. It's a little bit creepy. But I went to hide somewhere, and another palm girl by the name of Lori Dillinger was hiding with me. And before it was said and done, Lori, Lori kissed me. And I was like, oh, it's too late. I'm leaving next week. I don't even drive. I can't get back here. Some of us have some more serious things in our life, though, than that. (laughs) And we sit down in our life and we look at those moments that have gone by and we think, oh, it's too late. I I missed my opportunity to be an influence, to to be someone that God would be proud of. I I missed the moment when God wanted to use me in that moment. I had a window, but it's gone now. When I first started working in Ponca City with Larry Kern, Many of you know Larry, remember him. Uh, And at the time, I was going to Oklahoma State, and we were a terrible football team at the moment. And and I remember I had made it, I love football. I love watching football. I like playing football, back when I could play football. Um, And I remember walking into the office one day, and I had made this decision I was going to investigate, and I ran it by Larry, and I said, Larry, I'm thinking about walking on the football team. What do you think? This is 1998. And in a nice way, he said, I I think your eligibility has expired. That's a nice way of saying, dude, you're too old. You can't do that. That window's come and gone. It's over. If you wanted to do that, that time is is finished. You've got to move forward. Some of us, you know, we've been watching the, the football playoffs, and we'll watch the Super Bowl next weekend. And most of us that have kids at home, especially boys, Uh, The dads, we love sitting and watching the playoffs. And about 10 minutes into the playoffs, the boys, they go out in the street and they play football, don't they? The dads are wanting to watch. The kids are wanting to go outside and play. Why is that? Because dads are really spectators and the boys want to participate. And sometimes in life, we get to that moment in life, don't we? Where we settle for being a spectator. We resign ourselves to watching the story of God, rather than participating in the story of God. Maybe in your life there was some bitterness along the way, and so you you burnt some relationships that you wished you had back, and you think, man, it's too late, that window's closed, there's no chance for me to have a relationship with those folks. Or maybe you're watching your adult children make poor decisions And you think, man, if I just had them back as little ones, then I could pour into them more. I could teach them more. But that window's come and gone, and now they're grown up, and and me telling them how to raise their kids may not be such a great idea. Or or you think, man, I should open my home to my neighbors. I need to have them in. And you'd planned on doing that, but weeks have passed, months have passed, maybe years have passed, and now it would just be awkward to try to build that relationship with them. Maybe, maybe you thought about going on global missions. It'd be cool to go to Kenya, to Sands Place, or, or Honduras, or even just down the street to help the homeless in Dallas. 
But you think, hmm, those days for me have come and gone. There's no way I could travel and do what they do. And we find ourselves being spectators. I mean, we care, but we just don't think there's enough time in our life to do what maybe God's called us to do. At the Hall House, our boys are in college, as you guys well know, and so we don't drink a lot of milk. Now, when the boys are home, there's a lot of milk. Sometimes people in our house currently have a bowl of cereal before they go to bed. I'm not saying any names, maybe. But there are moments when you, late at night, you pour that cereal and you put the milk on and you take the first bite and you immediately spit that out. That's going away. Why? Because the expiration date on the milk was last week. Not a good thing. It's been pushed to the back of the fridge. You hadn't noticed that. For so many of us in our life, we feel like we have a date stamped on our body and our life. And we feel that best used by date has come and gone for us. Not true with God. There is no expiration date with God. He will use you in his story. As long as you are living and breathing, God wants to use you. No matter what age you are, no matter what nationality you are, no matter what language you speak, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter your skin color, it doesn't matter. God wants to use you in his story. And with God, remember, anything is possible. There's a story in John chapter 11 that's as interesting as it unfolds. It's one of those miraculous stories. Jesus had a lot of friends along the way, but one uh, set that continues to reoccur through the gospel account is Mary and Martha, and of course their brother Lazarus. And Jesus is doing ministry in another town, and Lazarus gets sick. So they send word to Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick, would you come and heal him, perform a miracle? And for whatever reason we don't know, Jesus waits a couple of days before he comes back to Mary and Martha's house. And when he arrives at the house, there's a lot of mourning, there's a lot of crying, there's a lot of sad faces. And Jesus walks into the picture and he's, he's consoling, he's trying to find out what's happening and they let him know that Lazarus has been dead now four days in the tomb. He's already gone. It's too late. And Jesus says, take me, Mary, to the tomb. And so Jesus and Mary leave the house. They're on their way to the tomb. The friends and family that are gathered at the house realize she's going maybe to the tomb to mourn at the tomb. And so they follow as a supporting family and friend group would. They get to the tomb and we find the shortest text, the shortest verse in the New Testament, and it says, Jesus wept. It shows his human side, his emotional side. But there's also a turn that it could be him crying because everyone believes it's too late. And Jesus says, I want you to roll back the stone. And everyone there says, Jesus, have you heard about expiration date? He's been in there four days. It's not going to be good. And Jesus says, I want God to be glorified. Roll back the stone. And when they do, he says, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, after four days, Lazarus comes out of the tomb. 
Jesus says, unbind him. Take those burial clothes off of him. Take that off of his face. Let the sunlight in. And God's glory is manifested in that moment. You see, initially, Martha and Mary had said, it's too late. But we've got to understand, when Jesus comes on the scene, it's never too late. He is the difference maker. Jesus will make a difference in your life as well. Things will change when Jesus is on the scene. Some of us say, it's too late though. My reputation has been ruined. I'm not who I used to be. I forfeited the chance to make a difference in some people's lives that are in my own life. There's a sense, man, after what I've done, there's no way that God wants to use me in his story. But you remember the story from last week with Peter? Denied the Son of God. People heard him. Jesus heard him. And yet there's Jesus standing on the shore in John 21 calling Peter out of the boat. And he reinstates him. Peter thought his chance had come and gone, that his integrity, his reputation, he had thrown it out the window. How is God going to use me in his story now? But God says, when you surrender and give him the broken pieces, he says, look what I can do. Anything is possible with God. No matter what you believe in your life makes you a distant person from that story. Jesus says, I will make the difference. And the very thing that you believe is keeping you away from God is the very thing that God will use in your story to make his story look awesome. Paul says, in your weakness, then God is strong. And Paul glorified in his weakness because he knew it brought honor and glory to God. But some of us are at that point where we say, it's too late. I don't even know where to start. I haven't been active very active in the story my whole life. I don't even know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, the default is then we do nothing at all. In sociology and psychology, there is this thing called bystander effect. And we all at times probably have experienced it on some level. Basically, there's a crisis, something that needs to, uh, some help, something that needs to happen. But in a crowd of people, I don't do anything because I think Brad's going to do something. Brad, on the other hand, doesn't do anything because he thinks I'm going to do something. And so, hence the bystander effect, we stand there doing nothing, thinking the other person is going to do it. You and I have had that moment in time, sometimes spiritually speaking. We, we feel like that we just don't know what to do. And we, we suffer at times from that bystander effect. Well, worship wasn't very good today. I I sure hope they fix that. I may not be back. I don't know about that youth ministry. That's not exactly the way I would do things. I hope they remedy that and fix that. I don't know about the women's ministry. The speakers that they get in are, are not as good as maybe I would have chosen. The men's ministry, not active at all. They think they're involved in ministry. And the list goes on and on, and we hope someone else will fix it rather than us jumping into the story of God and participating rather than spectating. 
See, we're called to be participants. And so maybe today is the day where you make a decision. You know what? The scripture is right. I need to get involved in the story of God in small ways, in big ways, in medium ways, however you see fit. We want you. God wants you to get involved in the story of God. So maybe today is the day you get online with Compassion International and you adopt a kid for only $38 a month that takes care of their medical, their education, their clothing, their food. Maybe you get with Dawn and adopt a kid at Sam's Place to do the exact same thing. Maybe you do something small by pulling into a Red Cross area and just give a pint of blood. Maybe you clean out your closet and donate those clothes to Goodwill. Maybe you go down to Arlington, Michigan, and you help them with some cleanup on a Saturday. Maybe you volunteer your time at one of our local elementary schools to help tutor a kid who's falling behind. Maybe because we live in such a Spanish-speaking area that you decide, you know what, I'm going to learn Spanish so that I can interact with more than just English-speaking folks. Maybe you take time on a Saturday to volunteer at a homeless shelter. Maybe you take that mission trip that you've always said you're just too old to go on. Maybe you get involved in our kids' ministry. Maybe you take one of our teens out to get a Coke or a hamburger to see how's life going. Tell me what's going on right now. Maybe you re-engage with a family or a friend for the cause of Christ to plant that message of hope in their life. And before you know it, God is doing incredible things through you to promote his story. Whatever you believe is broken in your life and not usable, understand that God, with him, All things are possible. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, he reminds us that God is working hard today in your story. And he's asking you to come into his. Or the psalmist reminds us in chapter 90 that we need to live life with a sense of urgency. Or the psalmist in chapter 39 reminds us of the short window of time that we have, one with another, to be participants in the story, to make a difference in someone else's life. There is enough time. What if you knew that next week you would no longer be here? You knew your window of time. What difference would you make this week in your life with those around you? How would you touch them for the hope that is Jesus Christ? How would you get off the bench and begin participating in the story of God? You see, there is enough time when God is in the mix. He will take what you have to offer and make it shine. He will help you be the participant in his story that he's called you to be. Who in your life Could you make the difference in if you just decided to participate? This morning, as we finish our time together, I I ask you to be thinking about maybe one person in your life. You know, there are 20 people in my life that I can name that I know, man, they need Jesus. They need to hear the story of hope. I need to be involved in their life. And when I think about 20 people, I end up doing nothing because I'm not sure where to start. So that's why I think about one or two. This year is the challenge for you You've got enough time to make a difference. Who is the one or two people in your life that you could make a difference if you just focused, if you were intentional about your time, if you reached out to them on occasion? As we sing this song, and I'll invite Brad and the praise team to the stage at this time, you notice there are two pub tables here in the, in the auditorium. 
There are small wooden clips on those tables with uh, Sharpies. I want to encourage you while we sing this song that you would go to one of those tables and you would write initials or a first name only on that clip. And then at the end of service, as you exit the auditorium when we're done in here for today, you'll notice there is a, a new tree right out here by our mission board. And I want you to take that clip and I want you to put it anywhere on that tree that you want to. The tree symbolizes life. It symbolizes God. It, it reminds us that in Jesus Christ, there is hope, there is life. And that tree will remain in our new commons the entire year as a reminder for all of us that we're called to participate in the story. And it will be for you a reminder that you've put one person's name on that tree that you are going to focus on this year. Somebody that you know. If I was intentional, maybe God would allow me to make a difference. Our shepherds and their wives are going to be gathered along the wall of this room as well. And maybe in your own life, there's, there's something that you need to let go of in order for that relationship to move forward. And so maybe that's a moment in time where you can go and ask for prayer. Let them lay hands on you, pray for you, pray over you, that, that you can move forward in that relationship, that things would go as planned for the glory of God. That's my hope this morning. Let's stand and sing together.